Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Kathy Grace and Dr. Kenya Wolf with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. Today, we're very fortunate to have with us an international expert in early care and education who I am proud to call my friend and has been a friend for many, many years. Uh, Dr. Joan Lombardi is with us today, and she's got a lot to talk about because there's a lot going on in early care and education. And she brings a world perspective uh, to the work because she has been working across the the entire planet uh, for years. And Joan, thank you for being with us first off today. Kathy, it's just a pleasure to be with you and good to see you and looking healthy and vibrant as ever. Well, let's hope we stay that way. We so far have been lucky. And uh, so let's just keep your fingers crossed. Yeah, I've recently visited with some of the articles that you've written. And I go back many, many years for when you and I first met each other to how far your work has taken you and, and the past that we've both chosen. And I've always been struck by the hopefulness that you have conveyed throughout anything you say or any work you do. And that uh, even in some of the grimmest times, you've always found a way to share your hopefulness. Uh, So recently you, you wrote a piece about probably this is one of the worst times in history for children in our world. Uh, And could you talk a little bit about what gives you hope in the midst of the pandemic and extreme poverty and social unrest and all the other negatives that we are familiar with. But how can you help us to see some of the the positives and the hope that you convey? Uh, Because we all have extended roles in the recovery process. And I think you could add to some of our thoughts on that. Well, you know, thanks, Kathy. I mean, let's be honest here. These are difficult times for everyone. COVID has taken its toll on young children and families in the U.S. And as you mentioned, around the world, Um, UNICEF recently put out a report that said it was one of the worst times for children in its 75-year history. What we've seen here in the U.S., like around the world, is that material hardship is having an impact on family well-being, and that therefore affects children. Um, We've also seen Um, and heard terrible stories about the impact of the pandemic on the child care worker workforce, child care providers at every level who are really essential workers. And it's been heartbreaking to see how difficult the times have been for that segment of the community. Yet on the flip side are all the heroic actions taking place In communities all over the United States, people rallied, and the early childhood community rallied. Um, They got involved delivering food, assuring that young children have access to learning materials, continuing to move forward. And all those individual actions really is what gives me hope and should give all of us hope. What's harder right now, I think, is the divisions we see in the country, And I think early childhood has a special role here to facilitate in young children and a new generation of Americans an openness to listen to each other, to have empathy, 
to learn to problem solve together and to appreciate diversity and celebrate it. So difficult times, but I think we have to reach for those rays of sunshine that we're seeing in communities across the country. Absolutely. And there are some rays of sunshine, certainly in some new funding sources. And so I'm curious if you could share with us as we examine kind of our early childhood education system in our country, what advice would you give decision makers on how to shore up the new infusion of funds that are coming in to our systems? You know, we have seen in the stabilization grants and the expansion of the Child Care and Development Block Grant and others welcome relief during COVID, but it's temporary in, in the majority of the funding and it's not permanent. And we have a permanent problem in the United States in the need to develop a comprehensive, high quality child care and early learning system that is accessible to all parents and provides a decent wage wage for providers. So we have to step back and remind ourselves, what do we want, first of all, as new resources come in? And let's hope we do continue to get new resources in the upcoming year. But I think it won't be just in childcare. There's different resources coming into communities. So what I've been advising communities to take a few steps. First, step back and decide what we want. What do we want? And name that in terms of children. We want healthy births. We want children thriving at three. We want them curious and eager at five and successful in school and throughout the primary grades. We've got to keep that vision. And it really grows out of our core developmental principles that one developmental period builds on another and the domains are integrated. So I don't want to, I don't want to have us choose one of those periods over another. I want to see that whole continuum. So, you know, what I see happening across the country where communities are moving forward is they recognize that community, uh, that continuum, and they look at the status of young children And they look at the data that they have in their community, particularly the inequalities that we see, which have to be um, highlighted for us to move forward. Once we're clear about the data and our goals, we have to listen to families about what they want and need. What do we have? And do families understand and have access to those services? Where are the discontinuities? We've got a lot of discontinuities across our services. We have to listen to providers and what they need, particularly around their working conditions and their compensation, which I'm really worried about. If you can go down to the big box store and earn more money than you can in early childhood, we've got a big problem. So what resources are available and where are the shortfalls? And we've got to look at the full cost of quality. The full, if we don't have a sense of how much does it really cost to provide, let's say, infantile services in a quality way, we, we can't even start the conversation because we're using uh, costs that are not realistic and ex- on the access side for parents or on the the side of of what's adequate for providers. So, you know, I think what, in summary, what I think we need as new resources come in, and let's hope they do, and we all have to continue to advocate for them, is a vision of what we want for children 
and a plan on how to get there with a two-gen focus, with a, a focus on family well-being and child well-being. Well, you've worked with hundreds of businesses and collaboratives of various kinds of economic development folks. And what lessons could you share with us uh, that you've learned in how to frame some of the issues you just brought up to the local business leaders or the economic development experts in a state or in a region of a state so that we can change this mindset of doing it on the cheap? Well, you know, Kathy, that's always a good question. And it's something I think we all and I'm sure you have, and other people in your state have, and I have thought, when I think back over the 50 years or so that I've been involved, and so many other people have dedicated the same number of years, years and years of working on behalf of young children, I do think we've seen some change. There are more people recognizing the dual needs of both children and families the need for childcare and early learning and family support programs. We've gone from a field that we were used to looking at our newsletters in the field, and now we're on the front page. So there has been some movement, I, you know, in my effort to always be hopeful. I have to start with that optimism. Yet, it is hard to see the childcare system where we are right now, underfunded, quality strained, parents without real choices, providers who are leaving the field, um, racial inequities that have continued generation after generation. I think what my overall message is, is that we cannot become weary. What I've come to learn over the years is the individual can really make change. And I hope everyone feels that because if you don't feel that, you can't even begin to talk to the people that you just mentioned, um, you have to believe you can convince them. And it's not easy. Um, persistence, uh, being smarter about how we communicate, meeting people where they are, and not, not going into conversations in an adversarial way, but in a way that says, where are you? Here's where I am. Can we join forces? Can we hold hands together on behalf of children? I think having a clear vision helps. And I just will always continue to believe that the cause is right. You know, what's good for families is good for children. What's good for communities is good for families. What's good for community is good for the economy and the country. And we just have to continue to say that. And at the same time, hold policymakers accountable. You can't say you're for children and not vote for additional resources that are so desperately needed by children and families. So you have to call that out, but call that in a way that uh, reaches out to people. But you mentioned, and it sort of takes me back when you said you're 50 years, because I think I was right there along with you about it, year 50 uh, in the work, and others that we both know that have been spending so many years in this effort. And so this raises the question that I have to ask, and that is, what about the next 50? As much as I would like to think I'm going to be here 50 more, I can pretty well guarantee I won't be. And if I was, I probably wouldn't be effective. So where do you see, and is it a different group of people that would possibly take up the advocacy for young children? Oh, or 
how do you see the the next group of leaders, advocate, early childhood folks? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that, Kathy, and I, I should have addressed that right off the top. It is very important for all of us that have been in the field for decades to nurture and promote the next generation of leaders. We, we won't be here to move the agenda forward. Um, we can continue to share wisdom and experience, but I think we need a whole new generation, and I see them. I see them in communities across the country. It's one of the reasons that gives me hope. And they're much more diverse set of leaders. Um, they are representing the cultures of the children that we're serving, and we need more and more of that. We have to turn over the microphone. Um, I think it's really important, and I know those of us that have come this journey have to really reflect about letting go because it is time for a new generation, and you can be intentional about that. I mean, who are we mentoring? Every one of us should be mentoring I, you know, leaders and promoting their leadership and helping them understand what are the challenges of leadership. And part of the challenges of leadership is letting go. You can't overstay. Um, and, you know, I hope that I devote more and more time to that. And I'm excited about the leadership that I'm seeing emerge across the country. We just need more of it. But you have been involved with presidential administrations in terms of setting up programs, overseeing policies. If I'm not mistaken, two presidents, you've worked with administrators in, in their administrations. And do you see any better connections that people at the state and local level or how the how this could work so the communication is better received in the boardrooms, the policy rooms, where some of these decisions that are going to be made, if we receive new funds, as you mentioned, or just in the future, do you think that there'll be a difference in how the, uh, I guess you could say, the regular way of the bureaucratic business, uh, the way it's conducted? Is, do you see any changes in that? Well, I do. I, you know, it's interesting, actually. Most people think of me as working in two different administrations, but I have to remind people that I actually started uh, my first public policy job at the federal level was with President Carter. So it's been three administrations. Uh, so it's really been quite a journey. I was in the administration uh, during his time. So I think that I have seen change. I think what we need, though, is a much more of a bottoms up approach. I have a lot of faith in community dialogue with families and providers and moving that up to the state level and then the state level up to the federal level. So I would like to see more of that. I do think we've made progress creating infrastructure at the federal level. I'm proud of that. And for example, across HHS and the Department of Education, but I do think we have to connect those things now, Kathy. I think communities should have input to what the states are deciding, and the states and communities should have input into what's happening at the federal level. Those connections I see in some places, but not everywhere. Of course, the Internet and uh, the way that we can communicate has definitely changed over the last 50 years. And I 
am assuming that that goes into the whole mix of how communication could change and how we can better take advantage of the internet or, or how we train people and virtual training and so forth, but that there's still going to be the need for the face-to-face relationships that are often built uh, that do seem to really count in my experience in working with early care and education advocates as well as is people in uh, different state agencies or federal agencies. Yeah, we, we've learned a lot during COVID, haven't we, about how we can stay connected uh, through technology. And actually, it's been a real eye-opener because you can stay connected with people all over the world and you don't get on a plane and you can still make some progress together. However, I'm sure like you, I long for the connections again and to see people and to meet people and to share. We're going to have to learn how to do that all over again because we've gotten comfortable in, you know, not having to get all dressed up and go to work every morning. So we're going to have to get comfortable with reconnecting. All of us, we're going to go through a period of reconnection. And I think you have to do that in a personal way. We have to help children do that. We have to help families do that. I mean, think about the children that have been home for two years and are now going back to school and what that means. And the, the, I, I think there's been a lot of focus on learning loss, but there's the social loss that they've learned. And so I think teachers are going to have to pay attention to that. So look, we've got a lot of challenges ahead of us, um, but I will remain hopeful. That I can guarantee because I, I know that uh, it's just part of who you are. Uh, I do want to thank you again for spending your time with us. And uh, I would take to heart, and I hope everybody who listens to this, uh, your your words of wisdom because you always are, are wise in, in how you approach situations. And the, the main things that I can get from what you've said is to uh, look local and don't discount what you can do at the local level. Absolutely. And, uh, don't let challenges that may seem to be insurmountable get in your way because where well, there's a will, there's a way. That's right. Every morning is a new morning. Dawn comes up, the light comes on, and we have to look, look towards it. Well, again, Joan Lombardi, thank you for thank you. spending your time with us, and uh, we hope to see you soon. Have a good week. Thank you, Joan. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. If you have an early education topic you'd like to discuss, let us know about it at edsup at olemiss.edu. The Ed's Up podcast is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity.